Welcome one and all back to another day here at the Damage Report with me, John Arilla, and joining us once again, reporting from Texas, which will be the source of quite a few of our stories today. Yasmin Ilya Khan, welcome back to the Damage Report. Hi, happy to be back. Happy Glad to, to have you here. Texas, always. Yeah, what is going on with your state? But um, you know, before the show, uh, just to give you a little bit of behind the scenes uh, 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 look, everybody. Um, we were talking about Ted Cruz and how there might be cause for hope or optimism. Maybe we'll have a chance to talk about that at some point today. Because the Texas Senate race will be the focus of one of our stories. We will eventually get to that. Also, not only it might have a new senator, it might be a new country. We're gonna be talking about Texas seceding, which I hear they can do. And I don't like to fact check, so I'm just gonna run with that. They can just leave if they want to. So we'll be discussing that. As well as Joe Biden releasing a pretty devastating and funny ad targeting Donald Trump's mental state, his cognitive capacity. That's not gonna get under Trump's skin or anything. And then a whole lot more besides, that's for the first hour. So thank you everybody watching live as well as those listening on the podcast. As always, thank you if you if you are listening on the podcast. Head over to iTunes to rate and review us, it's very helpful. In the aftermath, we're gonna be talking about not only Lauren Boebert being roasted by one of her Republican colleagues, can't wait to see the fallout from that. Whether Donald Trump deserves the the aura, I guess, that he has gained on the right of being sort of put to lead the Republican Party like Jesus. We're gonna be once again debating that and then touching base with a little bit of what MAGA thinks about a number of different topics. Michael Shore has done some great on the ground reporting and we're gonna be responding in just a little bit. But with all that said, if you're on a platform where you can hit the like button, feel free to do that. If you're not, construct your own DIY like button and then start clicking that. And with all that said, Yaz, you ready to do this thing? I'm ready to do this thing. Okay, then let's do it. Let's go. The trends here may be changing because President Trump has been leading national poll after national poll over President Biden for the last couple of weeks, but not in this one. No, not in this one, Ducey. The trends are changing and some recent polls do have a little bit of good news for Donald Trump. But also just clobbers him with a one-two punch of bad news across a number of different areas. And not only punches, there's a kidney punch in there too, so stay tuned for that. But I'm gonna break it down for you. Much of this information that we'll be discussing comes out of the latest Quinnipiac poll, which is a very reputable pollster that does a lot of tracking. So we not only have sort of like a snapshot of what's going on in this race, but we can compare it to where we've been. And that's where some of the most fascinating information comes. We're gonna start off with the first punch. Trump has fallen behind Joe Biden in national polling, at least as of this point amongst registered voters. Joe Biden is now up by six points, 50 to 44. Back in December in the same poll, he had a one point lead. And the thing is, obviously, there is always a bit of a gap between what registered voter polling can tell us versus likely voter polling can tell us. Maybe if you're up by one point in registered voters, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're leading. But if you can grow that by five points in one month, then that is significant and it makes you wonder, where is this movement coming from? And that is maybe my favorite part of this. So this is punch number two to Donald Trump. 
Joe Biden is getting stronger among women voters in this poll, leading his predecessor 58 to 36. Now, back in December, he was already leading amongst women 53 to 41, but that is a nice, that's like a 10 point swing inside of a month, which begs the question, why? Why would so much movement happen in this one demographic group in just a month? Well, I don't know for sure, but I do know what happened in that month, and that is the E. Jean Carroll verdict came out. And so it might be that E. Jean Carroll has costed Donald Trump not just $83.3 million, but maybe some swing states, maybe the election. I want to go to you, Yaz. What do you think about these polling results? Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's very promising, of course. Um, I wonder about your theory, though, that it's coming from the E. Jean Carroll defamation case because it was already ruled, I think it was last year, that he did, you know, sexually assault E. Jean Carroll. That was from last year. So, what the verdict that we just got here was that he kept defaming her after that, the result of that previous one. So I feel like you know it should have swung the other way a long time ago. But maybe this re most recent trial and the $83 million fine or penalty, uh, maybe that's just bringing it all back up into the forefront. And especially now in 2024, more people are starting to pay attention to these two mm -hmm. candidates because the election is closer. So last year, 2023, who cares what happened in 2023, but this is 2024, <laughs> it's very different. We're in an election year now, so things are gonna get a little bit heavier. Yeah, yeah, honestly, who cares about last year? Like there was no real news. We were just you know treading water, but no, I'm kidding. Uh, yes, I do think that we've expected that people would start paying more attention. It is possible that that's what it is. Um, I think the $83.3 million makes it way more real. Oh yeah. Like you can debate, I guess, I don't know why you would, but you could debate, well, they say that he did this thing, but like he $83.3 million did that thing. And that I think breaks through. That is a headline for you. But I would like to throw out one other possibility. And I know nobody wants me to bring up this topic. I mean, they've been attacking Taylor Swift a lot for like a good solid week and a half now. Yeah. There's a lot of women who are Swifties. Is it possible that that's contributing to this? Maybe it's maybe it's a two-hander. Maybe it's E. Jean Carroll and Taylor Swift teaming up like the Avengers. Yeah, I mean, it could be a lot of things. And we we've seen that happen, you know, over the course of you know several elections that we've covered here on the show. You know, we see a lot of little things add up to create big results, right? Because you never know what one thing is gonna get this one voter to switch their vote from one candidate to the other. And sometimes it is something as inconsequential as, you know what, he's saying a lot of things about Taylor Swift and I don't like that. What kind of person would say these kind of things about someone like that? And then mm -hmm. they say, I'm not gonna vote for him. Everybody yeah. has their own triggers and it's very, it's kind of unpredictable to determine what it's gonna be for any one person. 100%. Well, it isn't just women that are contributing to this newfound strength for Joe Biden. Biden also leads Trump among independents 52 to 40. So that's your second punch right there. And the expectation is that like we can look at the E. Jean Carroll verdict and think that that might hurt him among some groups, particularly women that would seem to make sense. But the idea is that among independents, all of this legal stuff is going to hurt him. All of the people who are like, I don't really have a super strong identification <laughs> with either of the parties or either of the candidates. But like one guy is just constantly having bad legal news come out. Do I really want to get back into that? That's an as yet not thoroughly tested hypothesis, but it's one of the going hypotheses for this election. And right now he's got a 12 point lead. I mean, obviously Biden would like to see that higher. And I want to be fair, I want to acknowledge where Trump has strength 
while acknowledging where men apparently have weakness because men back Trump 53 to 42 marginally more, slightly more than they did back in December. So the fact that he has grown his strength among men after the $83.3 million verdict says it says a lot. I don't think any of it is good about men, but um, but that's what's out there. And before you comment, I also want to throw out the kidney punch because the polling doesn't look good for Donald Trump. But the polling is against Biden. That election is still a long way away. It's a little bit abstract. But what's not abstract is the race he has going on right now with Nikki Haley. And if you're wondering if she saw the recent polling, she did actually, particularly this one. The polling shows that while Trump is trailing Biden by a good bit, Nikki Haley is beating Biden by five points in a possible mashup matchup. So now I want you to consider both of those simultaneously. Biden is up six points over Trump and down five to Nikki Haley. I mean, the combination of those two imply that Nikki Haley is a far like that's an 11 point swing. That's everything in an election doesn't generate an 11 point swing. But that's what we see right now between Nikki Haley and Donald Trump. She posted a tweet about this showing the actual poll saying a new Quinnipiac poll confirms it again in a head to head matchup. I beat Joe Biden and Republicans take back the White House. Donald Trump loses big and we end up with President Harris. I love that that's just implying Biden will die a little bit more morbid for a tweet. but um. But is she wrong? I mean, I see this and I think, like, thank God Nikki Haley's probably not going to be the candidate because she would almost certainly beat Biden. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I think what we're seeing here is probably, you know, one of the pitfalls of having a two-party system. Because I think in any other election, Nikki Haley is not really a strong political candidate, especially not for president. So I think what's happening here is neither of the the front runners for either party is really likable right now. I think that nobody likes Trump. I think the Republicans are having a hard time getting away from Trump. And maybe they're looking to the next best thing, and that's Nikki Haley, even though she as a candidate herself is really not that strong or that great. And Joe Biden, he has a lot of dissension within his own party. You know, mm-hmm. so he has a lot of people who are upset with him because he hasn't fulfilled some promises. He hasn't taken some stances that are really popular within his base right now. I am no political strategist, and I'm not a political consultant or anything like that. But I think if Biden really wants to be reelected in November, I think it would be wise for him to focus a little less on swinging Republican voters to his side and more on keeping the voters who voted for him in 2020. Uh, I think that's a good strategy, um, but I would also say don't be so hard on yourself. The different, the main difference between you and a political consultant or strategist is that you haven't yet put in, you know, capitalized letters, political consultant or strategist in your Twitter bio. Should it's I do the that? Difference. Um, um, they don't go to like a doctoral program usually for that. It's just a thing they say. It's a branding thing. That, All right, I'll, branding I'll, thing. I'll do There's better so- at my personal branding. Sure. Um, there are some people, obviously, that that do know what they're talking about, particularly in individual states. But you know, they're not angels so. yeah. or whatever. They don't have divine knowledge. Now, um, we do want to talk about a few other findings in this before we get to more fun. Uh, so that's all. All the polling we've been talking about is in a two-way race, but we don't theoretically have a two-way race. We have third-party candidates. So. If you did that race with all of these independent third party candidates, then Biden would be at 39%. Donald Trump would be at 37%. Uh, RFK Jr. would be at 14%, Cornell West at three and Jill Stein at two. So Biden still leads in that case. 
But obviously, all of this depends on how, what effect these would have on individual states, how it throws into potential chaos the electoral college vote distribution. So it still looks good for Biden if you just look at the big picture. But I don't know exactly what that would mean once it's filtered through the fact that we don't really have a democracy in America. So bear that in mind. And I would also like to throw out that he's not getting very good marks on certain topics that Donald Trump could try to hit him on, like the economy. He's not polling really any better in that. And on immigration, they trust Donald Trump more. And I am going to try to be understanding of the American people in that usually when polling results come out like this, I don't think Biden's doing a good job. I trust Trump more. What that means is I think it's a problem. Biden's in charge right now, Trump's not. Because if you actually think that Trump is gonna help you, I will remind you what state the economy was in at the close of the Trump years. And the only effect that he truly like individually had on the economy was massive tax cuts for the wealthiest people in the country. And on immigration, sure, if you like the idea of moats stocked with alligators and people with machine guns manning sentry posts at the border, then sure, you should trust him more. Um, but remember, there was still very high level of migration into America under Trump. They always want to forget that. Him being in charge doesn't suddenly stop that from happening. It just means that their attempts to curtail it are necessarily more barbaric and we might end up with concentration camps. So um, what do you think about those? Uh, some of the issue areas Biden is continuing to have some trouble. Yeah, so I think that this is, again, one of the pitfalls, not only of the two-party system, but of our general electoral process, right? The fact that you have a president who can serve for four years, and then he's up for re-election. And so the last year of his first term is really spent in campaigning for his next term, so he can do more in the next four years. And it's just like exactly like what you said, right? If Joe Biden is the one who's in charge right now and something's happening that somebody doesn't like, then they're going to blame it on that guy, which is funny because, you know, when their guy is in charge, they don't seem to do the same thing. And both sides mm -hmm. are probably guilty of behaving that way. Um, as far as like the border issue, for example, goes, you know, I live in a border state. Whenever I talk to real actual people who are very concerned about immigration and they're the most concerned about the border, these people don't have any direct experience with the border or with immigrants really, right? In fact, they're really very isolated from the things that they seem the most concerned about. So they're getting all of these fear-based talking points about immigrants and the border from Fox News. And yes, all these people are very avid Fox News viewers. And I realize that this is anecdotal, but I think you know, in talking to real people, not on social media, it's really the best way to get an idea of what the voting public is actually thinking and feeling, maybe even more so than polls, even though I realize it's hard mm -hmm. to do that on a, on a large scale. So we know that they're pushing using things like the economy and immigration to push voters to vote for Trump or just to vote for the other guy who is not Joe Biden. And I was just reading something this morning. There was a congressman from Texas, a Republican congressman, and he said that of course they're not gonna do anything to help the situation at the border while Joe Biden is in office, because why would they do anything that would make him look good? Why would they wanna do anything that Joe Biden could then take credit for, which would then in turn help his reelection chances. So again, we're seeing a problem with the system that we have where we really are at a standstill because neither party wants to make the other party look good because it's not about governing America, it's about winning elections. And that's the electoral process that we have in this country. 100%, yeah. Look, I think the numbers are going up with Republicans prioritizing this, including as you say, people who have 
they're nowhere near the border. The border doesn't affect the migrants, don't affect them whatsoever, because the right is focusing on it to the exclusion of virtually every other topic. Which, hey, maybe that signals that they they've gotten that they should back off of the whole woke thing being the only thing they talk about in politics. But they also, as you said, don't want to solve the problem, and they're being super transparent about why. And there is a big disconnect between what they are telling their voters about how they are in the next five minutes probably going to be raped and murdered by a migrant. And then saying, eh, but I don't want to do anything about it because that'll help Biden. Those comments need to be put into ads and they need to be sent out there because it's going to make them look so bad. You cannot on the one hand claim that something is this massive crisis and then the other hand say that you're not going to solve it purely for political reasons. People are going to be angry about that. Uh, and justifiably so. Also, I think that your uh, strategy of talking to people in real life is interesting. I have considered it from time to time, but I'm going to say no. I don't want to do that. That seems like it's a whole scary. Lot of some, it's scary out there, um, you know. Yeah, I know. I'll leave it to Michael Shore. He can go talk to people in the real world. I'm going to stay on the internet. Anyway, with that said, I want to turn to a little bit of fun. Don't worry, we'll be following the polls as the election goes on. You know how much I love them. With that said, Joe Biden said that he was moving into a more aggressive phase of his campaign. And that very much appears to be the case because look at this ad that he rolled out on Truth Social. Donald Trump is truly confused. Nikki Haley is in charge of security. We offered her 10,000 people. They don't want to talk about that. He didn't just get me confused. He mentioned it over and over and over again. He's not what he was in 2016. He has declined. That's a fact. I mean, we won last time we won 50 states, right? This is not Donald Trump of 2016, guys. What? What is? If he's off the teleprompter, he can barely keep a a cogent thought. I mean, that's just fact. We are an institute and a powerful death penalty. We will put this on. I think he's declining. I stumbled and mumbled purposely. I do speak in long, complex sentences. I have a lot of material in each sentence. You have voter ID to buy a loaf of bread. You You have ID to buy a loaf of bread. Have you noticed? He's a little confused these days. A person close to Trump actually says that he's rattled by Biden's efforts to get under his skin. That's, that's amazing. Uh, look, it's on true social. The idea there is you go to the enemy's territory and you fight them where they should be strongest, which probably has attached to it the reality that not a lot of people are going to buy what they see. Um, after all, like there, there were Trump fans at every one of those events where he had all those weird short circuits and weird failings and all that. And they seem fine with him, but I like it. I want them to be more aggressive. For the last couple of years, almost all the focus has been on how Joe Biden is slowed down and Joe Biden has gaps and things like that, which is totally true. That is the case. But if that is going to be a valid topic for this election to potentially hinge on, well, then at least make sure that people know that it's kind of a wash on the mental state of these two guys. If they're gonna be the candidates, it's not like one of them is a super well put together like Ted talker or something and the other has mush for brains. They both have failings, they both have trouble expressing themselves. And so I like that they're at least engaging in that fight. What do you think? John, can you imagine what an actual Donald Trump Ted talk would be like? Like I know you like to do your your Donald Trump impression, but I would love to hear a <laughs> Donald Trump TED talk. But you know, like the uh-huh. ad is fun, you know, and it's on Truth Social, so he is trying to like 
hit Trump where his audience is, where it could potentially hurt him, or at least hurt his ego the most, right? And it seems to be working if it's getting under Trump's skin, allegedly. That's what it's being reported, at least. I think it is important to point out that these Trump people, to these Trump people, that if you're gonna use something like Joe Biden's mental decline or his age, as a strike against him, it's it's really hypocritical to do that because Donald Trump has never been known, at least not in recent years, for his mental acuity, right? We all remember his his stellar IQ test, which was really just like a dementia test that he that he passed with flying colors, and he was so excited about that. And that was embarrassing for him, frankly, that he was so excited about it. But his supporters still, you know, they're so enamored with him that they're like, yeah, he's great. Look, he's he's mentally acute. He has the highest IQ out of out of all of us. And it's like, you you know he doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it would be better, best, easier for me, more tolerable for me to make it from now to November. If we just, as he said, just leave it as a wash, you know, just like, just move on from that point. This is where we are in America. It's not great, you know, that these are our two candidates, but this is where we are. Yeah, look, I don't want this to be a big focus of the election or anything yeah. like that. And and remember, this is an ad placed on True Social. This is not national. Like it's going to be leading off. Hey, I'm yeah. watching Morning Joe, and all of a sudden, Dark Brandon's there. It's not that sort of thing. Um, but I want them to fight. I want them to. This is acknowledging that they get that that's a way that they are being attacked, and the fact that they're responding shows that they're at least following what's going on. I at least want that. I want. A vigorously, you know, like pursued campaign, and up until very recently, we hadn't had that. Now that can't be the only thing. You should be vigorous in terms of pushing an actual policy agenda as well. So I do want to see more of that. I do want to see them responding more to what many of their voters see as potential failings, as you said earlier in the show, promises that you haven't made good on. At the very least. Promise again to do it. I won't necessarily trust you, but it would be nice at least. And then, you know, we see like the State Department talking about how they're considering ways to acknowledge the Palestinian state shows that maybe they're seeing the criticism that they're getting in that area. At least they're paying attention, and maybe that's the start of more. With that said, we're gonna, or do you have a quick final comment? No, I was just gonna say, I would hope that they're paying attention because the rhetoric is so strong, you know, and I I just got a, a text message yesterday. From the Joe Biden campaign asking, Yasmin, what can we say to get you to donate more money? And I was like, are you joking? You know what you can say and you're not saying it. So uh, hopefully they are just, you know, paying attention to the people who are actually likely to vote for them and, you know, trying to keep those people or engage those people. Yeah. Uh, I assume it's one word, two parts, maybe. Yeah. There you go. Um, okay, you added on a second word, but I get where you're going. Okay, let's see. That's a challenge out to the Biden administration. Feel free to do that. Um, do you plan to try to use campaign funds or tax money to try to pay some of the penalties in uh, the New York defamation and fraud cases? I don't understand what. Are, are you thinking of potentially trying to use campaign money to pay some of those penalties that you might incur? What penalties? In the New York fraud case, the defamation case. I didn't do anything wrong. I mean, that's been proven as far as I'm concerned. And actually, we won in the Court of Appeals. You probably saw that. That case has been largely won in the Court of Appeals. Can somebody help Donald Trump? Because he seems incredibly confused about what's going on. He doesn't understand the questions he's being asked. But much more important than that, the reporter finally got through to him. He doesn't understand the massive financial liability he's currently facing. 
in the E.G. and Carroll verdict. He said that he didn't do anything wrong. Okay, I know that you're gonna continue to lie and say that. You know exactly what you did. But on the money, you didn't win in the Court of Appeals. That's not a thing that happened. You lost the case and you now owe nearly $100 million. Does he not understand that? Or is this part of like a an incredibly dishonest way of trying to pretend it's not happening so his base won't hear about it? I don't know, if it was any other politician, I would assume that it's the latter. But with Donald Trump's mental problems these days, I have to assume it's the former. But look, cognitive breakdown or not, this is not a defense against it. He's going to have to pay that money. And in fact, he's gonna have to pay it very soon. He's going to be appealing that. That's a thing, Trump, that could happen in the future. It didn't already happen and you didn't already win, buddy, I'm sorry. Um, But even the fact that he's appealing it, I thought that would mean that he wouldn't have to pay until this thing is finally done. That is not actually the case. He will have to pay. So once there's a judgment, which we now have, Trump will have 30 days to pay his damages. Though an appellate court will almost certainly allow Trump to forego paying Carol directly until the appeal is decided. Trump would have to set the money aside though, and he can choose to do so in the form of either cash or bond. So. It is unlikely that E. Jean Carroll is going to be like filling a money pit with bills and then swimming in it like Scrooge McDuck, but he is going to have to pay. It's going to be not his money anymore until we finally find out what happens. Now, the last time around, remember, this is the second set of money that he has to give to E. Jean Carroll. It's $5 million. He went with cash in that case. Judge Kaplan allowed him to deposit about $5.5 million into a court managed account. This time around, Trump can ask the judge to let him set Carroll's second, obviously, much higher amount of money into a court managed account. If the judge says no, then he would have to secure Carroll's money through what's called an appeal bond. And that might seem like just a technical legalese thing, but it has significant monetary consequences of its own. So once you do that, taking into account interest and other fees, including the potential need to secure an irrevocable letter of credit from a bank, Trump taking that route could bring his total outlay to $100 million and beyond. He would probably have to provide an extra 10% as collateral and would require he would have to pay a premium, a bond premium of anywhere from a quarter million dollars to $1 million. So if it goes in that direction, it's not $83.3 million, it's significantly more money. And remember, while he's appealing this, she has talked about the fact that the the other defamation that he has done during this trial could be the, the the cause of yet another challenge against him. So this amount could balloon even from there. And I explain all this not only for the audience, but also for Donald Trump, because he apparently doesn't understand the horrible financial and legal situation he finds himself in. Yes, what do you think? Oh my God, there's so much that I think about all of this. Keep in mind, so we mentioned earlier that he was originally sued for you know sexual assault claims against E. Jean Carroll, and he had to pay for that one. I think it was, don't quote me on this, but it was under $10 million, right? Like maybe $5 million, somewhere it was around $5 million. There. Yeah. yeah, okay. So it's $5 million. Then he kept defaming her after that court or after that court decision came out. And so she took him back to court and now he has to pay out $83 million. And the reason why that sum is so much larger than the original case is because Trump since then has continued to defame E. Jean Carroll, has continued to deny the results of the previous of the first trial. 
And also, he has been bragging in his other court case for bank fraud in New York. He's been bragging about how much money he has. He says, quote, he has billions and billions and billions of dollars, mm -hmm. right? And so E. Jean Carroll's lawyers argued successfully, as we saw, that you know the, the cash penalty has to be so much bigger than $5 million for him to even feel any kind of penalty. But what we're seeing now is that he has this huge cash penalty that he has to pay to Eugene Carroll, and it's not even registering in his brain. So, you know, maybe, you know, who knows what it's going to take to actually get something to register yeah. with him for him to understand that he did something wrong and to stop doing the things that he's doing wrong because we know that he's just going to keep denying the results of either of these cases now. It's weird because he thus far, and I've been following it every day, I have not yeah. seen him yet defame her again. So on some level, so far, he seems yeah. to understand, but I don't know, maybe he's just, he's been able to go so many decades of his life never facing real consequences that maybe his brain just can't actually wrap around the fact yeah. that he lost <laughs> in this case. Just like with the election, he could not grasp it. Um, and I don't know if that's just sort of like a, a, a psychological flaw or if it is actually the brain rot that he's clearly experiencing. Yeah, or, or just like the narcissism or what. Uh, but his, his lawyer, they did try, or they did say that they're going to appeal the results of the case. Uh, Alina Haba said that, and she, it's a whole thing. I did a video about it on Rebel HQ, and it's gonna come out later today or tomorrow. But um, they did try to appeal it. But Trump put on Truth Social, I think it was Tuesday, that he's looking for a new legal team mm -hmm. to represent him. So I guess Alina Haba maybe won't yeah. be a part of that appeal process going forward. And that's too bad because, you know, with her steering the ship, he could come out of that appeals process. Record. Yeah, I mean, he could come out of it owing a billion <laughs> at that point. Anyway, the money that Donald Trump owes to E. Jean Carroll isn't the only thing that he appears a little bit confused about these days. Do you remember when the photo came out that led to a lot of speculation of his hand? You can see here, and we're gonna focus not on its bizarrely small size, but we're gonna focus on the red dots there. What is the cause of the red dots? Now, there was wild speculation about this. Donald Trump was asked to clarify this, and this is what he said. Hey, how's your hand? Is it, it looks like it's better now. What, My hand? Yeah, remember what happened the other day? What was wrong with it? You didn't see the photos coming no. out of Trump Tower? No. It was, okay. What was wrong with it? The other one. Yeah. Okay. And do you want to tell us what happened with the hand? Nothing. <laughs> Maybe it's AI. Yeah, maybe it's AI. I mean, look, he showed his hands there. There are no red spots. They look like perfectly normal, albeit T-Rex-sized hands on a, on a human body. But there's no barks there. Here's the thing, it wasn't AI. That photo was taken by a photographer. And now look, that doesn't mean that everybody's favorite explanation is true. It doesn't mean that it's proof of syphilis or something like that. Let's not go crazy. He had been slamming his hands on the, the, the table at the courtroom. He probably blistered himself. But there's no way that he doesn't know that he did that. If your hand was covered in blood blisters, you're gonna feel that, okay? Uh, particularly with the terrible relationship he has with his wife. It's gonna come up, I'm just gonna say that. So he knows what happened to his hand. Why is he lying about it? Why, like, I know that like anyone who's accused of doing something illegal is going to claim that the evidence is all they generated. That's what Roger Stone does. Nobody's claiming you broke the law, man. We're just wondering about your hands. And he just can't be honest about anything. The guy who supposedly tells it like it is can't even tell it like his hand is. What do you think, Yaz?
Yeah, it, it is weird because, you know, like you said, if he was talking about a legal case, we can understand why he would be incentivized to lie or at least deny the allegations against him. But this is something so simple. You know, if, if I showed up with something on my hand and people were like, what happened to your hand? I'd be like, oh, I got a blister. Done. It'd be that'd be mm -hmm. it. You know, it'd be the end of the story. It's so easy to just be like, that's what it is. Sorry. You know, and what's funny about that is he blamed it on AI. But later, those same pictures were released, and they, like the Trump team, they had photoshopped out the blisters. So, which one is AI? <laughs> which one is actually AI, Trump? I love that there is a person whose job it is to remove just the, you know, the evidence of the inevitable decline of the human body as it ages. It bruises easier. It looks rough, and that's like when he was first, when all the small hand things first started coming out. He had his team photoshop his hands in pictures to make them look bigger. Do you, is that, do I don't, I I don't that? remember that, but that is okay. just devastating. I feel like, like that happened. I, I feel like that happened know. like back in 2016 or something. I didn't think that I could feel secondhand embarrassment for Donald Trump at this point, but that is just the saddest thing. Somebody just don't let him go in public anymore. He can't take it. This legislation comes with provisions that frankly, the people I represent are tired of. And it's provisions that would continue to expand the welfare state as the Wall Street Journal editorialized about by expanding the child tax credit in ways that will continue to fund uh, people directly through refundable credits, uh, which we find to be problematic. That is Republican Chip Roy, right on the verge of the House actually passing an expanded child tax credit bill uh, before it gets sent to the Senate saying that he doesn't like the idea that part of the bill is that it would help people who need it. People who are in some cases desperately poor, who need this assistance. Their kids desperately need this assistance. It deeply bothers Chip Roy that people would benefit in a bill that otherwise does amazing work to improve the situation economically of the wealthiest people and some corporations in this country. The fact that it included a little bit that would go to working people, to poor people is more than he can abide. Now, while he's mad about that component of it, other Republicans are being absolutely transparent about why they don't want this bill to be passed, including Senator Chuck Grassley, who indicated that he may oppose it because it would make President Biden look good. Who cares what's actually in it? It makes the guy we're running against look good. So screw the American people, screw those with kids who need the assistance. I'm not gonna do it. He says passing a tax bill that makes the president look good, mailing out checks before the election means he could be reelected. And then we won't extend the 2017 tax cuts. There's disagreement by some people on whether or not the bill upsets the strategy for 2025, extending that bill. And all these things are questions that are unanswered. And until something is through the house, I don't think we're gonna pay too much attention to it. Well, he paid enough attention to say that he's not going to do it because Biden is running for reelection. But it could not be more clear. The fact that this bill is even in a smaller form, slanted towards the wealthy, is not enough to placate these monsters. Along the way, it helps some poor people and maybe Biden, so it has to be stopped. And it doesn't even matter anyway. The true prize is the complete extension of the trunk tax cuts, both the personal income tax cuts for wealthy individuals, as well as the absolutely insane corporate tax cut that they received under Donald Trump. That's what he's focused on. Along the way, he's lying about things like the checks being mailed out. The bill does not include any um, any component that would allow for Biden to send out checks in advance of the election. Now, he might be getting confused. He's of advanced age as well. He might be thinking of Donald Trump, who decided to add his name to the stimulus checks as we were prepping for the 2020 election. 
I guess it was fine for Trump back in 2020. But for Biden, who's not even going to be doing it, it's reason to sink a bill. We're gonna get to what's actually in the bill and why many progressives oppose it for reasons other than like Chip Roy's. But Yaz, what do you make of the politics of this? Yeah, you know, this is just evidence that the Republican Party is elitist. You know, you and I know that everyone watching this show knows that. But taking a public stance against something that's called the child tax credit just proves that the Republicans are reluctant to, you know, to help out anybody that actually needs help in this country. And a lot of those people are their Republican constituents, right? We know that they're elitist. They want to feel like they're rich and special and they don't like equity. And I'm not even talking about equality, I'm talking about equity, right? And of course, we know that as much as they say they care about the kids, they do not care about the kids. And that Chuck Grassley quote, that's just like what we were talking about earlier with the congressman from Texas who doesn't wanna do anything with the border because it might make Joe Biden look good. This is a big problem and we know that especially the Republicans are very good at this. Whenever they're not in control of the government, they are incredibly obstructionist and they know how to wield that power. Yeah, yeah, and they can afford to be because they don't fundamentally care about what happens in politics. They All of what they want is locked in, the multiple rounds of tax cuts and everything. Um, they're perfectly happy to do that. The Democrats, some Democrats still, even when they're in a minority position, feel like, well, shouldn't we be doing kind of like at least a little bit to help people? Um, and we we just, we don't see that, unfortunately. Uh, now, thankfully, look, I, maybe I'm being too critical because while there were people like Chip Roy uh, who said what they said, the bill did ultimately pass. But again, not because of the child tax credit, it passed because of the other stuff. So it does expand refundable child tax credits, although not in the same exact way as the bill a couple of years ago did. Um, it is just, it's for low income Americans and it's even more limited than that form was previously. But it lifts, lifts the $1,600 refundable cap on the credit and adjusts it for inflation. It also resurrects some expired parts of the Republican tax cuts for businesses, including research and experimental expenses and small business expenses as well. But the issue is that the benefits that will come from this are all almost entirely for the wealthy, which is why of those who voted amongst the Democrats against this, most of them were in the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Rashida Tlaib said the richest 120,000 households would get a larger share of the tax benefits than the bottom 88 million families during the bill's first year. Which is insane when you put it in those terms. The poorest 20% of families would receive just $60 on average, while the richest 0.1% get an average of $57,000 in tax benefits. And also in terms of corporations, she talks about how Meta would effectively cut their tax rate from 25% to negative 2%. And so you can see why a lot of progressives would be angry about this bill. By the way, David Dan, who's been on the program before, the American Prospect estimated that in the time period when all the tax credits are actually in place, the business tax changes that we talked about are five times more costly than the child tax credit changes. So if you want to get just a rough idea of like the pie with the money being spent, there is a little bit for some people who need the help, and that's good. But that's not what the bill is fundamentally about, and that's not who truly is going to benefit. So it now goes to the Senate, where they're, of course, going to need 60 votes for it to pass because the filibuster is just now assumed for literally everything. And we know that Chuck Grassley is unlikely to support it. So good luck, I suppose, to the bill. Yes, yeah, any final thoughts on this? Yeah, I think overall, 
you have to think long term, but we know that that's not really how our government works, right? A lot of it is based on what the next election is going to be. So it's very, very short term thinking that we're seeing, right? So everything is politics. It's all political games as opposed to, you know, actual politics and actual political policy. And something like this, you know, they're just exacerbating an already existent problem that we have a diminishing middle class. We have greater inequality within the country. It's only going to make things worse. And every problem that we have in this country, every major problem stems from that problem, right? All yeah. the poverty, all the inequities in the workplace, in houselessness, things like that, all of that can can be traced back to wealth inequality in the country. So I think, you know, long term, this is it's not great. And we'll see if this improves things or if it even yeah. passes, but stay tuned, everyone, for that. We'll be right back with more. Welcome back, everyone. We've got more to talk about. We're gonna be talking about Texas, actually, starting with this. I got a few more questions because you're giving us a lot of time. Thank you. Um, would you use force against Texas if they tried to secede over the border issue? Because I remember in 2010, you said you, you U.S. states should have the right to secede. Do you still believe that? I believe in states' rights. Okay. I believe that everything should be as close to the people to decide. Mm -hmm. We know that's not gonna happen. <laughs> if Biden's saying, no, cut that fence, I mean, a state has the ability to do these things because states' rights do matter. No, Nikki Haley's actually dead wrong. They don't have that right. That's what that whole Supreme Court decision was about. See, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, not as everyone is entitled for their opinions to be law. So like you say they have the right, the Supreme Court says they don't. Unfortunately, they win Nikki Haley. That's just kind of the way that it goes. Um, but Nikki Haley is wrong about far more and more significant than just that. Watch this. Would you use force against Texas if they ever tried to secede? Use force against them? Yeah. No, we don't ever use force against our own Americans. Okay. I guess I don't mean like military or anything like that. I'm just talking about like, would you be strong against them doing that? I mean, I think, you know, states are going to make decisions, but we're, let's talk about what's reality. Mm -hmm. Texas isn't going to succeed and secede. I mean, that's not something that they're going to do. So why did you say you believe in that in 2010? What was the context of it? You said, I think you said you, be, you believe that uh, states have the right to secede. That's what you said. Do you believe the states, the United States have the right to secede? From I think that they do. I mean, the Constitution says that. I think states have the right to make the decisions that their people want to make. If Texas decides they want to do that. They can do that. Mm -hmm. No, they can't. Again, like everybody loves their own opinion. I love my opinions. I love my opinions so much. I have a YouTube page where I just say them all the time. But that doesn't make my opinion law, and yours isn't either. They don't actually have that right. And again, the Supreme Court has directly weighed in on this. Back in Texas v. White, they held that states cannot secede from the union by an act of the state. That's not how it works. More recently in 2006, Antonin Scalia on the Supreme Court, remember how much they loved him, stated if there was any constitutional issue resolved by the Civil War, it is that there is no right to secede. And the majority wrote, the Constitution in all its provisions looks to an indestructible union composed of indestructible states. When Texas became one of the United States, she entered into an indissoluble relationship. That's the Supreme Court. If you want to change that, feel free to amend the Constitution. But Texas does not get to just have a hissy fit and secede from the union because they want to put up concertina wire. Um, I also have one point that was on the Breakfast Club, obviously. When he says, would you use force? And then he says, well, I don't mean the military. 
well, what do you mean then? <laughs> That's what force is. Now, I understand you don't want to seem like you're calling for it and that nobody thinks that he is, but that's definitely what that means. And theoretically, seceding, which just means effectively like trying to break your compact with the Constitution, would probably necessitate some sort of conflict because, again, you can't just do that. Now, yes, you live in Texas, which could potentially become its own state or mm -hmm. its own country, I suppose. What do you make of this? Yeah, so I do live in Texas. Um, as you know, I moved here, uh, I think it was like the year 2000 that I moved here, right? So 23, 24 years ago. Um, that is a thing that people in Texas love to say, right? People love to say, oh, well, Texas is the only state that can secede. We're the only state that was our own country, and that's why it is a point of Texas pride around here, and it is just wrong. It's just not real. And I know this because when I moved to Texas, people kept saying that. And I was like, that doesn't sound right. And then when I got older, when I was in high school or something, I looked it up, you know, and it's so easy to just fact check that one little bit. But it's so anecdotal around here that everyone just assumes that it's it's real, that it's an actual thing. Nikki Haley is not from Texas. So I don't know where mm -hmm. she's getting any of this from. She's from South Carolina. So she doesn't, she's not subject to just hearing it all the time as we are here in Texas. But that um, that court case or that court decision that you cited, Texas v. White, that's been in place since like the Civil War era. I think it was in the 1860s. So it's been around for a while. It's been on the books. It's nothing new. It's not like it, it just happened last year, you know. So yeah. it, it just it's just wrong. That's it. 100%. Uh, what she knows, look, we can debate whether she actually knows about that. I mean, she's had like 150 years to read that decision. It doesn't yeah. seem like she's going to get around to it. Um, but what she knows is that as a Republican who wants to become president, she's supposed to imply that states' rights are the most important thing. Wink, wink. I'm not saying anything. Just states' rights are great. And uh, yeah, you can just leave if you want to. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, if she became president, do you think she would be cool with states just pulling out? Oh, California, I guess. They could just leave, I suppose. New York, you know, New York and I guess Pennsylvania and Connecticut, I suppose, they can just make their own thing. She doesn't actually believe that. She is trying to placate radical right wingers in her base and with a side order of racism as well. Okay, with that said, we don't have much time and I do want to talk a little bit more about Texas. So whenever we're ready, why don't we jump into this first video? I'm telling you, it's not all red. I mean, it's going to be a Hispanic game, a strong Hispanic game. Listen. Michelle Garza outperformed Bethel by three points. I outperformed Bethel by three points. I don't play Bundy Tree, but I love it. I'm just trying to tell you that work, hard work, hard work ethic, and yes, some identity politics. You need to motivate Hispanic people to go vote. Why else do you think that Cruz, you know, they'll go and vote for the president, and he steals a vote. He steals a percentage point because his last name is Cruz. So this video, which has been released, or the audio at least, is dramatic because we have a high profile Senate race in Texas where we have Ted Cruz, who apparently steals the vote because of his name. And you have some Democrat who's gonna go up against him. Now there you had Texas State Senator Roland Gutierrez. Colin Alred is considered the front runner in that based on the polling and sort of expectation. But there you have Gutierrez implying that because Colin Alred is not Hispanic, because Colin Alred is black, he will not be able to defeat Ted Cruz based on that. And because obviously Gutierrez right now is not ahead in the polls, he's trying to pump himself up 
And this is the way that he's trying to do it. Now, I think a lot of people are potentially gonna have an issue with that. Uh, Yaz, I'm interested, you, you, you have more familiarity with Texas politics <laughs> having to do with the fact that you live there, these elections and what's happened. What do you think about the case that he's trying to make there? Um, I don't know how much how much uh, merit it has, right? I don't normal like I wouldn't have assumed that Texans are just going to vote for a Hispanic candidate. I wouldn't think that that's the default. I don't think that people are voting for Ted Cruz because he's a Hispanic candidate. I think he just happens to be the Republican candidate that keeps getting pushed forth for us to vote for. And so the people who vote for Republicans are voting for that guy. Um, Roland Gutierrez, he is one of I think eight people who are running to challenge Ted Cruz for the um, for the Senate seat in 2024. Ted Cruz, uh, as we all know, he was he barely won his reelection for this term against uh, Beto O'Rourke. Um, he came dangerously close to winning that election and he knows it. He's very aware of it. And you know, with Beto, with him running that race, uh, he put in a lot of legwork in a lot of the more rural areas in Texas, a lot of the very typically Republican areas in Texas, and he just talked to people, which was a lot of work that he did. But I think the fact that he came so close to almost beating Ted Cruz was a big, you know, signifier for a lot of people in Texas that you know this place is not as red as the congressional map looks, right? So with Ted Cruz. Now he's even less popular, I would argue, than he was four years ago or eight years ago. And um, I think somebody like Colin Allred actually does have a pretty good shot of unseating him. And I say that very, very hesitantly because we've all been burned before so many times. Mm -hmm. um, I've been hearing about a purple Texas for the last 20 years since I've lived here. Um, but Colin Allred, he has a lot of money behind him. A lot of that money is coming in from grassroots donors. I think 94% of his donations are under $100. And yeah. a lot of Ted Cruz's money is coming in from special um, political uh, PACs, political committees. Mm -hmm. So uh, he has a lot of grassroots support. It is very promising. And he does have, he, I think he has about $10 million on hand right now. He's a former NFL star. He served in the Obama administration in the Department of Housing and Urban Development. He's an attorney. He, he's a, a, a viable candidate. Yeah, yeah. Look, I I don't know a lot about the political differences between these two candidates necessarily. As we get closer, you know, I'll learn more as many people will. But um, but yeah, I understand the frustration. I I don't know that this necessarily helps you that this came out. They're not denying it, by the way. I mean, I don't know how they would. I suppose they could say it's AI. That's an easy thing. They're not doing that. Um, I guess to their credit and sort of doubling down in a message from their campaign manager, uh, which we unfortunately don't have time to cover, but super high profile race. Everybody wants to get rid of Ted Cruz. And so it, it certainly merits attention and we will be watching it. That is unfortunately all the time we have for the first hour of the show. More to come in the aftermath, everybody don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.